Welcome to the Festival of the Mind podcast from the University of Sheffield. This episode sees the team behind Women's Movement 100 talk about their contributions to the project. I'm Freddie Garland of Ten Foot Dance Company and creator of this work, but by no means the only contributor. Women's Movement 100, Angels of the North, is a community dance with film project taking 100 women from communities across the north of England, addressing issues surrounding the women's suffrage movement and emancipation. It's a journey told through dance. In this podcast, like chapters within a book, you'll hear from a collection of the university contributors to this project, their specific fields of work and the collaborations within this piece. Julie Gottlieb, Professor of Modern History, Claudia Mazza from Insignio, Emily Lawless and Jamie Lee Jenkins, who recently joined the team as historical research assistants, and Laura Alston, who reflects on the project from the perspective of evidence in Julie's impact case ref, but also as a dancer within the project. Working in dance, your motivation and creativity derives from all sorts of scenarios, but in this particular project, I wanted to explore the concept of collaborating with academics, giving artistic form and movement to their research. The subject topic of women's suffrage, as I've been discovering, was most definitely not a linear story, and to really start to appreciate the enormity of it, over the course of the last two years, with support from the academics at the University of Sheffield, I've been lucky enough to attend seminars, lectures, audited MA classes in sex and power and women's emancipation in 20th century Britain, I've had long chats with Julie, visited Parliament as part of an MA trip and attended discussions with female MP Rachel Reeves. We've had the opportunity to study the physical statues of Millicent Fawcett and Emmeline Pankhurst in Parliament Square and Gardens, attended and delivered work at Off the Shelf Festival, engaged new teams of women from your very communities, delivered countless hours of choreography, ate beyond belief, formed lifelong friendships and laughed until we've cried. Not long before lockdown, I had just began to look into the biomechanics of the physical female form with Claudia Mazza and the Insignio Biomechanical Department and started to explore choreography within the Motion Capture Laboratory and what therefore could actually be interpreted from the physicality of being. From a very personal perspective of working with Julie and now also Claudia too, the word privilege comes to mind, to have the support and access to such inspirational women and their research and teachings is quite an honour. There's a theory that your work is only as good as the last lesson you learn, and whether that be in a dance studio, a lecture hall, a book, a life lesson or whatever your learning directive comes from, And that knowledge, just as living, just as the latest mobile phone or whatever gadget, it evolves at a rate of knots. I've learned to love the challenges I've faced along the course of this project. And I owe thanks to my new sense of satisfaction to many for this. This project is still very much in the making. And with the lockdown that COVID-19 brought, all physical activity came to a pause with still further explorations and research yet to happen here with the university in both the historical and biomechanical departments, a further 60 participants to engage and dance with from other cities and a full live exhibition to be created. I am really looking forward to when that work can resume once more and I can get moving. 
I am Julie Gottlieb, Professor of Modern History at the University of Sheffield. I'm going to talk about my research on the feminization of politics and the politicization of women in modern Britain. I'll provide you with some of the background for this Festival of the Mind collaboration and some insight into the areas of historical research that Freddie has been drawing on to realize her inspiring, dynamic, and ever-involving community dance project. The title of the piece speaks for that double meaning of movement. Movement in the sense of the political mobilization of women for political rights and to achieve feminist goals and objectives. And of course, movement in the literal and artistic sense. Freddie's been drawing on my research on 20th century feminism to inform her artistic vision and her creative practice. My research is focused on the story of women's politicization in modern Britain, and my real concern is the consequences of the vote. So what happens after women have achieved the vote? What happens to them politically, personally, in terms of identity? Because I try to think about, and my research has looked deeply at how Foreign policy and international relations have been impacted by the enfranchisement of women, not just on the domestic issues where we expect women's influence to be most felt, but actually on foreign policy and international relations, especially in the late 1920s and uh, more importantly in the late 1930s when the international uh, crisis takes center stage in everyone's lives. I'm trying to locate women, or my research has tried to locate women there um, in that um, usually very male-centered historical narrative. Now, I've had the pleasure to work with artists in various mediums to tell the story of women's emancipation. I've worked as historical advisor to Gillian Waring. In the last year or so, I've been working with uh, Coralie Turpin. I've worked with novelists and playwrights, and I've been working since the autumn of 2018 with the brilliant and mighty Freddie Garland. Now, the years leading up to all these collaborations was the centenary of suffrage, 2018, the hundred years since the representation of the People Act, in which some women over the age of 30 were given the right to vote. So in a way, during that uh, vote 100 year and since, I feel I've become something of a participant historian. So not just someone who's looking from the sidelines or looking back through time, but also being kind of active and creative in the process of commemoration and memorialization. So back in 2018 at Off the Shelf, the literary festival in Sheffield, I had the wonderful opportunity to help Sheffield celebrate uh, the centenary of suffrage, and I curated a special strand of, of this festival on Suffrage 100. It won't have passed you by that the whole country was marking this milestone in women's history and the history of British democracy as fragile as this has been at various moments before and since. So movements, movement, cycles, loops, two steps back, one step forward, and waves. These are all helpful ways of visualizing the complicated and decidedly non-linear story of women's emancipation. So in the public imagination, it's the suffragettes, the members of the and activists of the Pankhurst's uh, Women's Social and Political Union were the touchstone. The faces and the figures of the suffragettes, their tricolor of green, white, and purple, their deft marketing, their publicity and propaganda, their acts of militancy, like chaining themselves to gates, alighting post boxes, slashing masters' paintings in the National Gallery, practicing jiu-jitsu, breaking windows. These are the acts of militancy that have been imprinted on the national imagination. 
These are the images that have made it to the big screen and that are recycled on the small screen in print and in national debate. However, and I think this is important as a reminder, they weren't alone in agitating for the vote and in representing and developing a powerful ideology that we still today call feminism. And I could remind you to take account of the contribution of the constitutionalists, namely the women who were never persuaded by militancy, but who worked tirelessly nonetheless to demand votes for women. They were not as leader-worshipping as the WSPU with the Pankhursts as matrons and martyrs to the cause. But nonetheless, the constitutionalists had many formidable leaders, such as the NUWSS president, Millicent Garrett Fawcett. She now stands in Parliament Square, and she stands supported by the portraits of 59 other dedicated suffragists. It was a moving moment, in fact, when Freddie and I met in front of both the Fawcett statue in Parliament Square and the Panker statue just over the road uh, back in January of this year. We were on a tour of Parliament and of the Parliamentary Archives at the generous invitation of Rachel Reeves, MP, and I took uh, my MA class, a module that is titled uh, Sex and Power, Women's Emancipation in Modern Britain. So we were all together there, colleagues and students, collaborators, in this key national space where women are now well represented. And this was given added meaning that we were thinking through and thinking ahead into the Women's Movement 100 project together. As I said, I don't want to talk about the suffrage movement very much, and my own work is principally concerned with the, with the aftermath of suffrage and the consequences of women's suffrage. So I ask what happened after the vote was won. Well, first of all, there was more campaigning to be done after 1918 and the Representation of the People Act. It would take continued agitation, although at a much lower key, uh, for the Equal Franchise Act, which was also called the Flappers Vote, uh, to be passed in 1928. But much more besides these progressive measures in terms of constitutional rights and representation have to be considered. And going back to the point I raised about the pattern of women's rights, the pattern of emancipation, it was not clear and linear in terms of a pattern. It wasn't just a pattern of progress, a teleological uh, trajectory. The pattern we discern was a dialectic, and women's rights have always been greeted by backlash and hostility, by calls to send women back to the home, by suggestions that women are shrill and greedy, that their equality somehow threatens peace in the home, that their career ambitions put their children at risk, that women's political power emasculates the nation, or that the increase of women in the workforce is responsible for decreasing birth rate and even national decline in morbidity. So there's a really distinct language of blaming and shaming women, um, and it's not unique in any way to our moment in history. So these charges, this kind of backlash, is not only familiar to us in our era of Me Too, and a fourth wave of feminism as a response to the naked sexism, misogyny, and aggression unleashed by populist leaders. All these things were said, but they were also deeply felt, of course. They were discussed, they were debated from the moment when women got the vote. Again, what we need to, to look out for here are patterns, and certainly nothing as neat or reassuring as the steady progress of women towards their emancipation. So what I want to emphasize again is that the women's movement is a process, just like the dance project we're going to be watching and being a part of in this Festival of the Mind uh, project. 
circular and circuitous, satisfying and frustrating, elevating and depressing, consensual and argumentative, individual and collective, and always demanding the sacrifice to achieve the greater good. The women's movement has always been diverse and disparate. Unity has been fluctuating and elusive. Lives have intertwined and untwined with political action and commitment. It is precisely this that most of my research and my publications have explored and confronted. And what I mean here is that I've looked really at the diversity of modern feminism, not looking at feminism as a monolith, but looking at at the diaspora um, from the feminist movement and the different directions that women can uh, and have gone. And often these are counterintuitive. By studying the small bunch of women who gravitate to the right, and some even to fascism, my own work has done something, I think, to demystify the suffrage movement, at least to prevent uh, that inevitable process of romanticization. By pressing the point that the vast majority of women didn't much identify with feminism, by discovering that the first women MPs, for instance, were reluctant to self-identify as feminists, or by coming to see that the post-1918 Conservative Party was highly successful in mobilizing women, but did not address them as feminists. All these kind of things remind us how messy, let's say, certainly how multidirectional the story is of women's politicization. So the vote was not a panacea, and it did not herald in uh, some kind of golden age of gender equality. It's not as simple as that. So At this point, let me share with you the story of how Freddie and I began to work together and what we've been trying to accomplish through our our collaboration. Uh, Freddie and I were connected through another gender historian, a a colleague and and dear friend of mine, Professor Karen Harvey. Karen had been my colleague in the Department of History at Sheffield before she moved on uh, to the University of Birmingham. And she was also one of Freddie's students um, in Freddie's dance class. Freddie approached me because she was inspired by the centenary of women's suffrage, and she wanted to realize the meaning and emotion of the 100th anniversary in her artistic practice. So I, too, grasped the opportunity and the challenge to work with her on this, to inform her and educate her about the historical context, and, of course, to let myself be informed, educated, and immersed into her world, into her beautiful world of dance and movement. Freddie came along to some of my classes on women's history in modern Britain. She read some of my published work. And of course, we had many, many discussions over the past year, bouncing ideas off each other. From this time in study, she generated her own historical images. She translated events, patterns, and processes in this story of women's emancipation into her medium, into the medium of dance. In Women's Movement 100, Freddie wants to create a piece that can suitably memorialize mobilize and inspire women today and in the future and for their own futures. There are various aspects of this ambitious aim and Freddie no doubt will be telling you all about what kind of contribution she hopes this piece will make culturally, politically and personally. And by personally I mean to each dancer, each wonderful uh, contributor to this uh, Women's Movement 100 dance troupe. So finally, one of the most satisfying things about this project is that it is a thoughtful and and breathtaking dance ensemble with a cross-section of women whose main commonality is that they live in Sheffield and in the vicinity. Otherwise, though, they're from different backgrounds, different age groups, a range of occupations, and no doubt each come with a unique and personal motivation to be part of the movement, to be part of Women's Movement 100. 
The amazing work Freddie has done with these women is only the first part of a larger project, a grand multimedia vision of creating a statement and a memorial of the ongoing story of women's emancipation. So I'll say and remind you to watch this space. There's still a lot more to come as the Women's Movement 100 Project carries us into the next 100 years. Enjoy the dance. Hello, my name is Claudia Mazza, and I'm one of the academics involved in what I see as a fantastic journey through movement, art, and human rights. A journey that is made even more unique by the fascinating women involved in it, and that I'm having the pleasure to meet along the way. I'm an engineer as a background, a bioengineer to be more specific, and the study of human movement is at the core of my research activity. My main projects focus around clinical applications, where, together with my team, we develop engineering solutions to support our clinical colleagues. What we do in my lab, in particular, is to develop innovative ways to measure and model how someone moves. We do this to enhance the understanding of what are the reasons that causes a limitation in a person's ability to perform a given movement, and what are the specific consequences of this limitation. I have the luxury to work in a highly multidisciplinary field, which often brings me to interact with experts from a variety of backgrounds. The tools that we use in our laboratory are highly visual, and as such, this is not the first time that I had the possibility to explore their use as a way to inspire some creativity dance work. But this project immediately resonated to me as something uniquely close to my own interests. Besides being passionate about my research, in fact, I'm highly committed to being a positive role model for women in science and engineering. I'm also very much interested in visual and performing arts, and I spend most of my free time watching performances of different sorts, which often also inspire me when it gets back to my research. The connection with Freddie happened thanks to one of the projects that I lead at the moment, which is funded by the UK Engineering and Physics Research Council. Within this project, which is called Multisim, my team is developing a model for quantifying the loads that go through the joints during movement and which we cannot normally measure. We then use this information to understand if these loads can be modified to predict and prevent the risk of bone damages in the presence of bone weakness, such as that for associated with osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is a health condition that weakens your bones, making them fragile and more likely to break. This condition mostly affects postmenopausal women, and, and you can see how this, of course, links back to the, to the journey of, of, of the project. Traditionally, when we measure and model movement, we limit our observations to relatively simple tasks, such as walking. Thanks to the 100 Women project, we now have the opportunity to explore the potentiality of our modeling and visualization tools for more complex motion and context. This will hopefully give the team an opportunity to move beyond their comfort zone and get new ideas for, for their research. Last but not least, this project gives us the possibility to disseminate our research to a broader audience and to develop our ability to communicate with non-specialists using new forms of interactions. This podcast is certainly one of them, not an easy one, I would say. I now look forward to the next step and to the next learning and enjoyment opportunity that will stem from this collaboration. Hi, my name is Emily Lawless, and I am a historical research assistant for this wonderful project, Women's Movement 100. 
Alongside Jamie, another research assistant, we've been a part of this project since the beginning of April and I've loved every second of being involved. It has truly been a discipline-wide, all-encompassing project and many people have worked very hard to bring all of this together. What brought me to this project was the opportunity to use the skills I've developed from university level. I completed my undergraduate degree in BA History at the University of Sheffield, graduating last year in the summer of 2019. Most specifically over the three years, I have specialised in my area of interest, which is the histories of gender and sexuality. This means I have fortunately been very lucky to manage to take many modules which involve the history of women's rights and suffrage. This included modules actually run by the historical advisor for this project, Professor Julie Gottlieb. Therefore, when Freddie asked me and Jamie to offer our experiences with the historical research aspect of the project, I was extremely interested. This lent also to where I currently am now. I am almost, barring a dissertation, at the stage of completing my postgraduate degree in September, a master's in modern history from the University of Sheffield also. Using all of these academic experiences I have under my belt, the research began. The more weeks that passed, the more me and Jamie could really dig into the multiple different aspects to the movement of women's rights over the last century, specifically under the direction of where Freddie saw the research matching the choreography. Whilst Jamie explored women in work, women in politics and much more, I ended up researching women's bodies, death rates and statistics, statues and monuments, and other categories too. It is clear that the women's movement did not just start or end with female suffrage, but this began a long and arduous process of advancements in a wide range of different themes. I remember seeing the footage from Ten Foot Dance Company for the first time and being absolutely blown away by the kinds of movements they were making. As Freddie spoke, using a voiceover, using our research, it was a definite moment that confirmed how academic research and art can inform each other. It is a journey told through dance. The history provides the context behind the movements and the art brings the history to life again. It is very rare for me as a historian to visually see how historical research could be seen in a different method that isn't on paper or in an essay. The articulation of a group of women dancing and moving as a unit clearly represented in how in the past, women have become united to fight for our rights. Certainly, I believe this project has demonstrated this remarkably successfully. Hi, I'm Jamie, and I'm a research assistant on the Women's Movement 100 project. I'm a Modern History Master's student at the University of Sheffield, and I start my PhD in Popular Expectations of Democracy in September. Being part of this project has been a really great experience, not only in terms of what I've learned and the skills that I've developed, but also the friendships that I've been able to build. Being stuck in lockdown has been a huge challenge for everyone, but this project has meant that I've been able to build new friendships whilst researching a really fascinating topic. I've found that my own work as a historian of post-war Britain has also really been enhanced by taking part in this project. It's challenged me to look beyond the boundaries of the women's movement and consider gender identities over the last 100 years in all of their multidimensional complexities. It's shown me that the fight for gender equality was not a neat, linear story, but a messy and multifaceted movement that hugely impacts the way we live today. Providing an outlet for women's voices in the historical narrative is crucial, 
And this project has really brought home for me the necessity to introduce their stories into all types of history, whether it be social, political, or even economic. This is certainly something that I'll pay attention to in my future research. I've also found that undertaking the research in the midst of the pandemic has really challenged me to broaden my scope in terms of how I go about accessing sources. As we've not been able to access the archives, there's been a necessity to use and interpret digitalised sources, such as graphs, statistics, voting patterns. And this has proved a really exciting challenge and the skills that I've learned through this will definitely be taken with me as I embark on my PhD. I'm really grateful to have been given the opportunity to get involved with the project and I can't wait for what comes next. I'm Laura Alston. I'm a PhD student at the University of Sheffield and also a historian working in Sheffield. I initially came into this project in the official capacity as in my job as a REF impact evidence evaluator. So the REF is the research excellence framework, which is the exercise to assess the impact of research outside of academia. Impact is defined as having an effect on change or benefit to the economy, society, culture, public policy or services, health, the environment or quality of life beyond academia. And my job was to collect evidence of the impact of the project as part of Professor Julie Gottlieb's REF impact case study. So evidence of impact includes quantitative and qualitative data, which shows how academic research is having an impact in these ways on the world outside of academia. And so I had to get a good understanding of academic projects and then find a wide range of evidence of how those projects were having these impacts on outside partners and on the public. So the kinds of evidence I had to gather included information about how project partners have been impacted by academic work. So Freddie's project with Professor Gottlieb was one of the strands for Professor Gottlieb's evidence case study. And it was really clear from the get-go that the academic research and the dance project worked together to great effect. So one of my first tasks in this capacity was to interview Freddie Garland as she embarked on working with Professor Gottlieb. We had a recorded interview and I was really enthralled by the project which Freddie laid out in the interview. I used to be a dancer a long time ago and so when she said that there were opportunities to get involved, I jumped at the chance. And so I've had a really fascinating experience as part of the project, both in collecting evidence of the impacts of the project, but also taking part in it myself as a participant and a dancer. And this has given me a really unique insight into the effect of the project on the participants themselves who I got to know as part of the process and also on the audiences who witnessed the dance as well and thinking going forward about you know how to build those impacts into the project. So I collected data from the audiences who witnessed parts of the project and information from social media as well on the widest responses to the project online. And from the participants' point of view, I've seen several impacts. I think the most prominent benefit has been in confidence and friendship building. The work which Freddie does really does develop women's self-belief and brings women together. And it's been a real pleasure getting to know the women involved and seeing how we've developed as a group. But also the historical research and the important narrative which she draws through the movement really help the participants to understand more about this area of women's history and we all drew connections to where women are today and, and the different challenges still to be faced. And then in terms of the wider public, there was a brilliant response to this narrative. I think for a lot of people, seeing research, history, to science drawn out in this form of dance has allowed people to engage with these things in a way that they might not usually have been able to. 
I'm really excited for the future of this project and to be a part of it and I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. So there you have it, a tiny insight into what is, just like its subject matter, becoming nothing short of an enormous project. I often refer to this project as a journey and it genuinely is exactly that. This dance or film project we're currently creating, like a legacy, will continue to exist, not only in exhibition form, but in the memories of everybody that participated, as well as in those of the audiences and viewers. I was once asked, how can your piece, Women's Movement 100, memorialise, mobilise and inspire women today and in the future? When you memorialise a person or event, something is produced that will continue to exist and remind people of them. It can also be used to honour and commemorate, and my aim to create an alternative format by which to engage others into thinking about suffrage, equality, and how history has such a vital role in our futures, aims to do just this. Equally, to mobilise, you make something movable or capable of movement, to support or mobilise people to do something, you succeed in encouraging people to take action. Both of these verbs resonate within this project on so many levels. You could say, I so far encouraged women in Sheffield and Newcastle to dance and move with all of their might, for example, and we very much took action. We supported one another and succeeded, but it's more than that. We've learned so much and realised how far we've come and yet how far we've yet to go. Inspirations from our historical figures and a drive for equality in our futures drives this work. I know personally I feel a deep sense of honour and pride working with such an incredible team. Each and every one of them are inspirations in their own right. If this project were to instil an increased sense of self-worth, a newfound empowerment, a drive to question or want a better understanding of suffrage, or of our achievements to date, or of our place, our role in the community, and how, as individuals, we have a responsibility to improve the quality for all of our lives, for all of our futures, and begin to understand what's still needed. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and meeting some of our incredible people involved. Why not follow us on the next part of our adventure? Be part of the journey. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe. We'll be publishing episodes every day of the festival. We'd love to hear your thoughts and responses on social media. Find us on Twitter at Festival Mind and at facebook.com forward slash Festival of the Mind. Oh.